0: In his treatise on the anger of God, there are two ancient philosophical schools that will come in for considerable analysis and criticism by Lactantius. One of them is the Epicureans, who he treats first, and then he'll discuss the Stoics. And he seems to think that the Stoics are less wrong than the Epicureans, but they still manage to get some things incorrect, and so they also will have a mistaken viewpoint on whether or not it makes sense to attribute anger to God. And so he's going to say they're they're only partly wrong. Why? Well, because they, as he says, entertain better sentiments who say there is kindness in God but not anger And then he says a very pleasing and popular speech that God is not subject to such littleness of mind as to imagine he is injured by anyone since it is impossible for him to be, injured and in some respect lactantius is also targeting fellow christian thinkers who would say oh no 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 you know god is just loving and good and beneficent god never gets angry that stuff talked about in in the writings ah that's just anthropomorphizing don't worry about that sort of thing lactantius is saying no no God actually does get angry and exhibit kindness. And in fact, in chapter six, he's going to say God is angry precisely because of his kindness. But how, how do we get there? So the Stoics think that anger is, as he says, a commotion, a commotio, right? And perturbation, perturbatio, a stirring up of the mind. And that this would be inconsistent with God, right? It would be unbecoming of the divine, like he says. When it falls on the mind of any person as a violent tempest, it excites such waves that it changes the condition of the mind. And then we get a very interesting description. This is kind of a commonplace in ancient philosophical discussions of anger. We see this, for example, in Seneca's on anger and Plutarch's, you know, on controlling anger. So, you know, this isn't really becoming of the highest being in the universe. And he's going to make an a fortiori argument here that the Stoics would advance. Namely, that if anger is unbecoming to a human being, provided they be of a wisdom and authority, how much so? Is so foul a change unbecoming to God? And if a human being, when they have authority and power, inflicts widespread injury through anger, sheds blood, overthrows cities, destroys communities, reduces provinces to desolation, how much more is it to be believed that God, since He has power over the whole human race and the universe itself, would have been about to destroy all things if He was angry? So the idea is uh, God doesn't get angry. I mean, look at the world exists. Human beings, when they're angry, they're very destructive. God's not going to do that sort of thing. And Lactantius is going to say, oh, "Okay, fair enough, but you Stoics, you're missing out on something. You're stressing the good side." And he says, "They think so great and pernicious and evil ought to be absent from God, and if anger and excitement are absent from him, well, then what remains? Being calm, propitious, beneficent, the preserver. Isn't that nice, right? This is what the divine nature involves." And then he says, "Well, No, that's not quite capturing what God is. Why? Because if God is not angry with the impious and the unrighteous, it's clear he does not love the pious and the righteous. Therefore, the error of those is more consistent who take away anger and kindness. In opposite matters, it's necessary to be moved to both sides or to neither he goes on he who loves the good also hates the wicked that's part of what it means to love in the first place if you love this you hate the opposite the loving of the good arises from the hatred of the wicked and the hatred of the wicked has its rise from the love of the good there's no one who loves life without hatred of death he says or who is desirous of light but he who avoids darkness these are so connected by nature the one cannot exist with the other so he's saying here that you're not seeing the connection between love and hate and therefore between kindness and anger you can't have the two of these in a rational wise being without having the other one and this is where you stoics are going wrong and he's got a very interesting analogy here which he'll use at several points about the owner or master of a household and he says in this case if a master has in his household a good and a bad servant it's evident he doesn't hate them both or confer upon both benefits and honors if he does this he's unjust and foolish, right? So, you know, you Stoics, you want to say that God would have the virtues of wisdom and justice, but if you construe God as being like this master of a household or owner of a business, pick whatever you want, who doesn't actually take cognizance of whether people are doing the right thing or the wrong thing and thereby be moved by emotions toward, you know, good ones towards the one person, the good person and bad ones or, you know, hostile ones towards the bad person. Well, then your god isn't much of a god. He's not just, he's not wise. So, you stoics, you've you've screwed up here. He also brings up another point where he's going to say yeah, the stoics partly right, partly wrong. And this is in chapter 13 where he's talking about providence. Now providence is this notion that there is a, you know, sort of plan, a structure, a ruling. He uses the word administration, administratio, or governing, gubernatio, quite often in this treatise. And so, you know, he thinks that God is a hands-on kind of God. And he thinks that the Stoics are right in saying that God is like that as well, and that the world was actually made for us on our account, uh, for human beings, right? And this is indeed a traditional Stoic teaching that irrational nature exists for the sake of rational nature, which includes us and also God and, you know, any other rational beings, right? So he thinks the Stoics are right about that, but then he brings up a challenge that the academics have, a very understandable challenge. Hey, if that's the case, then why is this universe filled with so many things that are opposed to us? and going beyond being opposed that are hostile to us and going beyond being hostile that actually hurt us, that are damaging to us. I mean, think about it. There's so many ways that you can get injured or killed in this world, including by other human beings, but all the different creatures, you know, there are diseases, various other things, natural disasters that just snap into us, like an earthquake or volcano, or if we're thinking about shows from the 1970s, quicksand which doesn't seem to be as prevalent as those shows made it out to be but you know the, the academics are saying hey why isn't the universe set up in such a way that we don't run into all these evils and he says that the stoic response to this is actually quite foolish What is the Stoic response? Well, you just haven't seen the big picture yet. All of these things are actually useful or helpful to us human beings in one way or another. They're not really bads. They're not really evils. And he's got kind of a throwaway line here, which is quite funny. He brings up animals like the viper when burnt and reduced to ashes is a remedy for the bite of the same beast. And we might say the same thing about like milking snakes venom to make anti-venom, right? Or toxins or whatever, whatever it happens to be. And then he says, wouldn't it have been a lot simpler just not to make a snake in the first place or don't give them venom, right? How much better had it been that it should not exist at all than that a remedy should be required against it drawn from itself? He doesn't interestingly say, you Stoics, you don't actually know whether any of these things are good for us or not. He just says, let's assume they are. Doesn't it seem like a very roundabout way for God to do things? So that's kind of an interesting argument. And then the third thing, the third criticism, is really that the Stoics made a fundamental error in their approach to the emotions and the error consists in this not seeing that there is good and bad or just and unjust anger and he discusses this in chapter 17 where he's going to tell us that to be angry is actually on the part of reason if it's just anger right the false are removed. Licentiousness is curbed. This is plainly in accordance with justice and wisdom. So it makes sense for human beings sometimes to get angry and for God to get angry as well. But the Stoics failing to make the distinction between just and unjust anger, they thought that it was all unjust or bad. And he says, because they didn't find a remedy for the matter, Madelam Ray, right? They wanted to excise anger entirely and if you look at you know for example Seneca's work on anger i think this kind of exemplifies it you know he tries to close off any possibility of anger being good or helpful or useful or necessary in any way and then he says the philosophers were ignorant of what, what's translated here's the nature of anger but we could say the account of anger qua ratio eset what anger would be what it's reason what its structure what the account of it would be And because the philosophers were ignorant of this, their definitions aren't very good. Well, they're, they're good for a certain kind of anger, right? As he goes on and he says, This is the unjust anger concerning which we spoke before, which is contained even in dumb animals to be restrained in human beings, lest they rush to some very great evil through rage. So those definitions are okay for unjust, wrong, vicious anger, right? And what are these definitions? He says, Seneca tells us in his book on anger, Anger is the desire of avenging an injury or the desire of punishing the person person by whom you think you've been unfairly injured, an incitement of the mind to injure him who has either committed an injury or has wished to do so. He also brings up Aristotle, but we don't, we're do not we not looking at the criticism here, so we don't have to worry about that, right? And he goes on to say, well, you know, there is the possibility of just anger. God exhibits just anger, as do some human beings, and so they should have given this definition, anger is an emotion of the mind arousing itself for the respect straining of faults. If anger is understood in that way, well, then anger is actually something not only good, but something just, something needed, something required. And so God could, in fact, feel and should feel, and does feel, according to Lactantius, that kind of anger. The Stoics just didn't see that, and that's why they remove anger from God. So we've got some interesting criticisms of the Stoic approach to anger, as well as to, you know, the world and providence made by Lactantius here in his treatise on the anger of God. Are they entirely on point? Could the Stoics possibly respond to them? Eh, Maybe, but these are, you know, what we find here in the text. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible.